You know, brothers and sisters, as we prepare ourselves for what we're about to go into, I just want to take you back a little bit, but I want to pray first. Just want to pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. What an incredible God you are that would allow us to have this very moment in time. Father, we pray right now that your dear, sweet, Holy Spirit will give us the spirit of wisdom and discernment. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we may see. Father, I also ask that you will move me out of the way right now that your perfect message can now go forward. There is victory in your blood, but also power in your word. Let these two commingle today and cause a change in the lives of some people who are listening. Father, we thank you for the victories that are about to be had because of the power that is in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen. So again, I wanted to reiterate or really cement the idea. The finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. Jesus died on the cross and sealed for us everything. Everything we would ever need for life and godliness. To really get that understanding, to really put that understanding into practice in our lives is so vitally important. Because as we go through this series entitled, All of Christ in All of Me, once you understand that Jesus has done everything, then you don't have to try to recreate the wheel. You don't have to try to do what he's already done. What you want to do now is make yourself available to him, and then you, like a branch, will bear the fruit of Christ as he lives in you and then through you. I pray God everybody gets that. Again, move yourself out of the way that Christ who lives in you through the Holy Spirit can bear fruit through you. So for us to get that is a mighty thing. But today we wanted to talk about what would that look like in a practical sense? What would that look like in practicality? How would we be able to really apply this concept of being fruit, being a branch that fruit of God appears on. How do we apply that? How do we make that happen in our lives? Well, we have a wonderful example, and his name is Jesus. He is our example. So he showed us in the word of God. It is recorded in there over and over again. He says, when you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. So he's our example of what it's like to actually be alive, but also be dead. To have a life that is full, but also be empty to ourselves that Christ, that God's life can live through him, that he becomes our example. So he now can live through us. So we can be alive, but dead at the same time, dead to our selfishness, but alive to Christ that he can live through us. So let's have some fun today. Again, if you're prepared, you can get your notebook out, maybe take some notes or call somebody and let them know that, hey, uh, Tuesday church is on. <laughs> We're getting ready to do our thing and it should be fairly exciting. Why? Because it's the word of God, not Pastor Ben. It is the word 
of God. So again, he is our example. So if we needed to look at something to get an idea of how it's supposed to be done, Jesus would be that example for us. So if you're ready to have some fun, we're going to dive right into some scriptures and have a good old time today. So our first one today is going to be in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read this from the Passion Translation. And again, I hope all of you are enjoying all the different translations because they give us insight. They give us a different view into these scriptures that kind of open them up for us. You know, the message, the NLT, the NIV, the Passion Translation, the King James Version. All of these things come together and these things open up for us these verses that give us great insight. Now, hopefully you're enjoying this. So again... Philippians chapter 2, the Passion Translation, and it reads as follows. It says, be free from pride-filled opinions. I could preach on that today all day long. Um, Pride-filled opinions. Not just opinions, but pride-filled opinions. You know, an opinion is not actually truth. An opinion is how you feel about a particular subject, and it doesn't have to be based on truth. It just has to be based on your feelings. So if you can feel something, then you can establish an opinion on what you feel, but it doesn't have to be based on the truth. In this particular case, it said pride-filled opinions, meaning that this is about you. Because that's what pride does. It's all about you. You have a certain opinion. You ever been around those folks who kind of want you to believe that every time they say something, it's right? You ever been around those kind of folks? Well, unfortunately, maybe you are one of those kind of folks. But I just need you to know, you're not always right. You can't be. We're human beings. We're knuckleheads, man. We are fallible. So you're not going to always be right. That's why you need to always be surrounded by people that will always be there for you to tell you the truth. So a pride-filled opinion. The word says, be free from pride-filled opinions. For they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow (laughs) self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility, put others first. Again, authentic humility, put others first. I have learned that people can say the right things. But because it's not in their heart, it's not authentic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about love in that fashion. It says you can be a martyr. You can die for the faith. But if you don't have love, it's worthless. You become a clinging symbol. Does everybody get that today? So authentic humility. I humble myself in a real sense, not just verbally. You know, I was with somebody the other day and they called me brother. And I looked at this person and I know that's not what they really meant. (laughs) But in the environment in which we were in, they wanted people to look at them as though what they were saying was authentic. But I already knew that it wasn't. And here's the other part. The people that were present always already knew that it wasn't. So it had no real value other than the fact that it cemented everybody's idea about who this person really was. So do me a favor. Be authentic. Humble yourself. Be authentic. 
Know this. Jesus died, leveled the playing field of life so no man could boast. So be authentic. Be real with your brother. Let me read on. It says, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. More important than yourselves. More important than yourselves. You can view people as a project. You can view people as I'm going to help these people because you think more about yourself than you do of them. So if you really want to help somebody, walk in their shoes. Really understand where they're coming from. I, you know, a guy told me the other, you know, a long time ago, he says to me as we were having a discussion, he says, as I was explaining how I felt about a particular circumstance and situation, he told me, no, that's not true. So I had to ask him, have you ever lived in my shoes? And he said, that doesn't matter. How I feel about this situation is what is true. I need you to see how twisted that is. If God would have left that situation there for us, he'd have never sent Jesus. But because he loved us and he knew exactly how messed up we were, he sent Jesus anyway. Is this making sense to you? So again, just kind of step back. You're supposed to make other people more important than yourself. This is Christianity I'm talking about. This is not a private club. This is not an ideology. This is not a philosophy. This is our faith. We are to make others more important than ourselves. We have an example. So let me keep reading. It says, abandon, run away from, get get away from every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And again, we have a habit of trying to twist these verses so we can feel comfortable by not doing them. And you can't. This is beautiful word of God. This is powerful stuff. So, and and let me finish reading. It says, and consider, think about, wonder, study into, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let, Let his mindset become your motivation. What a powerful verse. What a powerful verse. So, how does Jesus feel about others? I think we all know the answer to that, don't we? So we say things like, hey, that was cool to Jesus. Man, go ahead, Jesus. That was really nice of you. But if he lives in us, then he should be living through us. And it should be the same mindset in us. In, the, in Acts, it says, in the city of Antioch, they were first called Christians. We'll say this to you, so make sure you understand. I may have mentioned it to you before. But Christianity is not a religion. <laughs> it's not a religion, brothers and sisters. Christianity is a relationship. 
It is our relationship with God. It's a reconciled relationship. And from that reconciled relationship, our attitudes, our behaviors, our mindsets change. We change the way we live because we have this reconciled relationship with God. Now, that change, that transformed life becomes a visible example to the people that we interact with. So these people then see that there's something different in us than what's in, the, in them and in the world. Therefore, in Antioch, they called them Christians. Why? Because the behavior, the attitudes, the morals, all of those things resembled what was seen in Jesus. Are y'all following me? So if Jesus is our example, then his body should in the world speak to the people in a way that when they look at us, they see him. What does that cost you and me? I can't set the parameters of Christ's love. I can't set the parameter of Christ's compassion. I can't set any parameters on him whatsoever. My job is not to set parameters on him. My job is to kill the parameters of resistance in me that he can then live through me. We're almost finished here. I hope this is benefiting you. I hope you're, you're getting this this morning. It says he existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize he didn't think about himself he thought about us instead he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant wow he became human he humbled himself and became vulnerable choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. There's our example. A perfect one. A perfect one. See, again, we try to, at times, we'll try to make Christianity into an event, into a movement, into an idea, into a philosophy, into all of these different things. Because the real call on us is to become a lowly servant. And because we don't want to, then we have to change this word in a way that allows us to remain the same, but speak the right word. Speaking the word without it being in your heart makes you a clinging symbol. Somebody say amen. So here's the thing I need us all to know. You've been clinging, but you didn't hear it. But everybody around you has. How do we stop that? Let Jesus live his life through you. He's our example. Be a lowly servant. Humble yourself to him. Let's go to another verse. Y'all having fun yet? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. This is in the Amplified Translation. And this is some beautiful stuff because, again, if he's our example, then the same attributes, the same moral developments, the same things should be or manifest themselves 
in us. I've seen a lot of people try to say, this is how we feel about this. And this is how a Christian should feel about that. Well, the Bible gives us incredible instructions itself on exactly how we're supposed to view a thing. So listen closely. Matthew chapter nine, we're going to begin to read at verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, I'm going to stop there for a second because I really want to make sure we understand this as we unpack it. When he saw the crowds. Now, crowds mean a large or a numerous number of people. Now, these crowds came from everywhere, from all different walks of life, all different kinds of jobs, all different kinds of situations. There were males and females. There were children. In this crowd were people who knew Christ, who didn't know Christ. There were Jews. There were uh, Jewish Christians. All of these people are in the crowd. I hope y'all are understanding this today. The crowd wasn't just one group of people. There wasn't just one kind of political ideology or one kind of spiritual ideology. It was a crowd of people. And in that crowd are all kind of different ideas and concepts. Have you ever been to a football game? In the stands, there could be seats for 70, you know, pre-COVID, 76,000 people in the stands. They're not all there because they have the same philosophy. They're not all there because of anything. They're there for a football game. But in that crowd are all kind of different people. Somebody say amen. So if you can get that, watch this. He says, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and pity for them. All of them for all their walks of life. Why? Because they were dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. He seen this crowd and he knew they had no spiritual representation that would give them hope for tomorrow. That would give them an excitement about living. I need you to know today, this is what we're seeing right now. We have a crowd of people who are dispirited, who are broken. Why? Because they don't have a shepherd. They don't have someone who is bigger, who is stronger than the circumstances to provide safety and direction for the crowd. He had compassion on them. Again, our example, compassion, compassion. Do you have compassion? See, you can't have a sentence like I heard the other day. Yeah, I have compassion. I just don't like those people. I think you got the definition wrong. (laughs) I think you got the definition kind of twisted. Compassion and pity. Praise the Lord. Let's read. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is indeed plentiful. Yes, because everybody in that crowd is a potential Christian. Everybody in that crowd is part of the harvest. If you have compassion, if you have pity, if you look at them as people who need a shepherd instead of people who need to be beat over the head with a staff. If you can see these people as, 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 as from your point of view as a shepherd, then what we have then is, is the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What does that mean? See, there's not many people who really want to die to themselves to become lowly servants to serve the people to serve the harvest. It's here. It's ready. People need the Lord. 
When will we realize that people need the Lord? So the crowd is still here. The crowd is still bustling and lost and dispirited and broken. But as Jesus showed compassion and pity, we should do the same as well. No matter where they are right now, it's harvest time. You know, if you've ever picked tomatoes, they're not all the exact same size. Sometimes all not the exact same color. Some are a little green, some are a little big, some are a little small. But if you know how to harvest tomatoes, you can still pick them and use them in the correct way. So in this crowd, there are going to be different people from different walks of life with different mindsets and all of those kinds of things. But all they need is a shepherd. Are you willing to be a shepherd today? Are you willing to let the shepherd shepherd through you? Are you willing to take away your distinctions and your understandings to let Jesus be all in you? All of him and all of you. Let's go to another verse. I pray God this is helping you today. I know I'm having fun. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. This is going to be from the New Living Translation. Yep, you got a bunch of translations today. But again, I pray God that they're giving you insight. We're going to begin to read at verse number 6. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. If you take this verse back, put it into the verse of the crowd who was dispirited and broken. Jesus spoke a word that came to them at just the right time for them. He sent the disciples and said, hey, listen, we got to take care of these people for us. For us. He came at just the right time when we had no power, no authority, no way of changing our circumstances. He came for us and then he died for us. Listen closely. It says in verse seven, it says now, when's now? Thank you. Now is always going to be right now because God is not restrained or contained by the continuum of time. God stands outside of time. God doesn't have a calendar. He doesn't care what year it is because he is the alpha and the omega. So when he says now, when the Bible says now, that's right now. When the people read it a hundred years ago, it was right now. It was then, but now is now. So listen closely. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. <laughs> Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Can you see the crowd again, brothers and sisters? And in that crowd would be sinners. In that crowd would be people who, you know, don't understand yet, who have all of these different ideas about who God is and who he isn't. There's all these people in the crowd, but Jesus died for all of them. Why? Because all of us were sinners. All of us are sinners. All of us. So the beauty of this is we get a chance to know he died for us. And I'm thankful that we get a chance to understand that. We're almost done, brothers and sisters. This is going to, I'm going to try to move through this rather quickly. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And this is in the message translation. So you got a good roundabout today in terms of translations. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin to read at verse number 11. Listen closely. It says, that keeps us vigilant, you can be sure. It's no light thing to know that we're all one day, that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. Again, the shepherd that was in the crowd, a shepherd prepares the sheep for life. It keeps them fed. It takes them to higher ground. It makes sure that they don't have any insects and stuff infecting them. A shepherd does that. God alone knows how well we do this. But I hope you realize how much and deeply we care. We're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. A real powerful piece of instruction. If you want people to look at you in a certain fashion and you do things to try to frame that, then that's your only reward. It will not have any eternity attached to it. Everything about that will be temporary. You know, do I want you to love me as your pastor? Yes, I do. But will I change this word of God to get that? No. Will I change what God is calling me to do to get that from you? No, I will not. So please understand, I'm not saying I don't care about how you feel about me. But brothers and sisters, I don't care how you feel about me because I know how God feels about me. So I'm going to serve you because if I had to do, if I had to serve you based on how I knew you cared about me, that might end my service for you. But I don't do it that way and neither can you. We cannot make these distinctions about people. Are y'all understanding this today? Does it make sense to you? Listen, it says, we just thought it would make you feel good, proud even, that we're on your side and not just nice to your face, as so many people are. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Again, we're talking about examples and Paul has given us a very powerful one right now. Verse 14, it says, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. Meaning that this point, this idea, this concept is where I am motivated from, where I move from. That is the thing that motivates me. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. One man died for everyone. That puts everybody in the same boat. Listen closely. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. So he didn't distinguish. He didn't distinguish in the crowd and he's not distinguishing now. Everyone means everyone. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Everybody on the planet earth, 
is a potential Christian. I said everyone is a potential Christian. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess. Now, here's the part I need you to really understand. Every knee, even of the person who thinks their knee shouldn't bow, who thinks their job is to make sure every other knee bows. No, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. Let me finish. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, I said nothing good comes from Nazareth. No, the greatest thing that ever walked on the planet Earth came from Nazareth. But we got it all wrong when we began to think that he was crazy or he's led by Beelzebub. He's this, he's that, he's a blasphemer. We got it all wrong. Brothers and sisters, the crowd needs laborers who are ready to do the harvest. The people in the world need people who will look past where they are and see them connected to the cross, see them connected to Jesus. Can you do that today? Yes, you can, but you're going to have to die to you. You're going to have to die to your pride filled opinions. You're going to have to die to those things. Satan is good at what he does. He's insidious. Satan will always bring up another subject that will take your eye off of the victory that is already yours. And he will make you be in fear of there's an idea, there's a concept, there's a vote, there's a movement that threatens the body of Christ. Hell will not prevail over the church. I don't know how more simple we can make that. So quit being afraid because this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to present to you an idea, a concept that causes you to fear something you shouldn't fear. You're fearing something you should be stepping on. We have a Messiah. Let's look at him the right way. Did Jesus die for us? Did he provide for us everything that pertains unto life and godliness? Yes, he has for life and godliness, for life and godliness. Are we protected? If God is for you, who can be against you? Almost there. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Says anyone. So anybody in that crowd, no matter what their mindset was, no matter if they arrived that day to find out, I don't even know who this Jesus is, man. I just heard some stuff and I wanted to see. Or I came here because that Jesus is crazy, man. I heard he was a crazy man. I heard he was a blasphemer. I don't care what they were thinking in that crowd when they arrived. But when the shepherd, when the real shepherd of God, when Jesus spoke into their lives and they had this relationship with him, it changed them. And that's our job, not to worry about where they are, but to worry about where we want them to go for eternity. We need them to meet Jesus, not our prideful opinions. Almost there. 
We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us and called us to settle our relationship. There we go. To settle our relationship with each other. God put the whole world square with himself through the Messiah. Giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Everybody has this offer. I said everybody has this offer of forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Everybody has this offer. Now, it doesn't matter where they are right now. That's not your call. Your call is not to determine that somebody ain't going to make it. (laughs) Your call is to make this offer to everybody. There was a time that the country of Iraq and Iran were considered untouchable. That these people weren't any good. They weren't of any value or any of those things. But right now, brothers and sisters, Christianity is growing faster in those countries than it is in the United States of America. I need you to hear me today. God is exactly who he says he is, and he's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And he has made this offer to everyone. Our job is to make sure that people know what the offer is and how to accept the offer. That's our job. Listen, man, I knew I was going to get fired up. God put the whole world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task. God has given us the task. God has given us the task. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're, we are. Christ's representatives, just like he was God's representative when he came in the earth, that he was the exact radiance of who God was. We are his representatives in the earth. God uses us. He uses us. He uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences And enter into God's work of making things right between them. So, if he's using us, then there is nobody else we can look to, to have this situation in but us. So church, I'm calling you out right now. This is our job. It's not the government's job. It's not some political person's job. It is our job because he is our God and we are his representatives. It is our job to make sure that this thing is already over. It's already settled. The playing field has already been leveled. It is our job. Now, here's where this thing sticks at. Are you ready? It ain't over until it's over for you. 
You've got to determine in your heart and mind if you're ready to be a part of this representative army. <laughs> I'm here to tell you something, though. The army's going to move on with you or without you. Because God doesn't lose and hell will never prevail over the church. So are you his representative today? You know, when you go to countries or you go to embassies, that embassy that's in another country, when you go to that embassy headquarters, that's that country. Those people represent their country. So if you want to know about their country, you talk to them. They'll tell you about their country. If people want to know about Jesus, who, who do they go to? Who should they go to? They should go to us. And we should be removed of our selfishness to let Christ, who is in us, now live through us. We're almost there. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Wait a minute. Who? What? We're, we are speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How you act in Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. So we could be put right with God. You know, the most powerful thing that we can ever do. Is get out of the way and let Christ be Christ. To get out of the way and let God be God. So brothers and sisters, I'm asking you today as I close this. Are you his representative? Or are you representing something else? I need you to check yourself today. Find out what is in you that is motivating you more than the love of Christ. What do you want people to see, to know, and experience through you? <laughs> the thing that makes this fun is once we begin to do this self-evaluation in this context, we will find out that there's a bunch of stuff that has sidebars in our lives. And we keep trying to present people these sidebars, but saying with our mouths what the scripture says. But 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, doesn't matter what you do. If you don't have love, then you are a clanging symbol. Quit making noise. And let's represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you need to know more about him as an example, read the Gospels. Read Corinthians. Read Colossians. Read them all. And in there you will see the example of who we are supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, let all of Christ be in all of you. Come back and see us next week because we're going to continue this series. And it's important for us to do so. Love you from the bottom of my heart. Serve you from the bottom of my heart. 
and looking forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.